Once Upon a Time in America is based on a book called The Hoods, written in 1952 by Harry Gray. Gray was born Herschel Goldberg in the Kievstadl to Jewish parents in 1901, and when Herschel was just two years old, the Goldbergs left the Ukraine for America. They settled in New York's Lower East Side, where, like many immigrants, their transition proved difficult. It was further complicated when Herschel's father, Israel, was soon laid up in hospital with a serious illness. Now having to fend for the family, Herschel's mother, Celia, started cooking meals for local immigrant men who had no families. And by the time Herschel's father returned from hospital, Celia's meals had proven so popular, she had opened a storefront restaurant. From there, Herschel grew up to run a wholesale grocery company that handled the accounts of, amongst other establishments, the Waldorf Astoria. Because Herschel also ran a storage facility on New York's docks, he came into contact with longshoremen, unions, the Teamsters, and inevitably, the mob. In the late 1940s, Herschel was a victim of a suspicious traffic accident, and while convalescing, he decided to write a book about the New York's underworld. He did so, he said, because he didn't like the way gangsters were portrayed in films and wanted to tell the events just as they really happened. However, while Herschel was intent on revealing the truth about the New York crime scene, the story I have just told you is laced with half-truths. It's hard to tell exactly what is the truth about Herschel's life, so let's settle on another truth. Herschel served time in Sing Sing prison for his part in the rackets, and while he was holed up in his cell, he decided to write about his experiences. Only those experiences were not entirely accurate. They were more fabrications of a life that Herschel was now intent on airbrushing from his past. But either way, the book was well received and attracted attention of several filmmakers, one of whom was an Italian director who had, so far, specialised in making westerns. Sergio Leone was fascinated with America, and more particularly, American mythology, and the manner in which a person could reinvent themselves in the new land. Little wonder, then, that he was drawn to the novel. And in bringing the hoods to the screen, Leone decided to weave the mythology even more, intertwining the already romanticised crimes into a meta-myth, one that would not only chronicle New York's criminal underworld, but draw from Hollywood's rich tapestry of films about American gangsters. Leone's script was very long, very dark, very violent and very expensive, and no studio would back the project. This despite Leone having Robert De Niro in the lead role. Then De Niro introduced him to producer Arnon Milchan. Milchan had produced De Niro's previous picture, The King of Comedy, which had been directed by Martin Scorsese. That picture had lost money, but Milchan was financially independent of the studios, and so it was he who bankrolled Leone's epic story. All $18 million worth of it. By the time Leone was finished, that figure had doubled and Milchan lost a fortune. But Milchan did not lose his nerve because later he went on to produce such unique pictures as The War of the Roses, JFK, Heat, LA Confidential and Fight Club. Briefly, Once Upon a Time in America is about two men, Noodles Aronson, played by Robert De Niro, and Max Berkowitz, played by James Woods, who rise to the top of the crime world, only to disastrously fall out when one betrays the other. How come you didn't tell me? Being as I can change it. I'd already made the deal with Frankie to get rid of Joe. With a man like Frankie Minaldi, you don't say yes and then say no. I cannot take the chance to change your mind. You understand? Well, you were right. I would have said no. Frankie Minaldi is as big as they come. He's got the combination in the palm of his hand. If we're not careful, he's going to have us in the palm of his hand. 
You don't get nowhere alone. I thought you were the guy that said you didn't like bosses. It sounded like a good idea then. It still is. Let's just think about it, Noodles. They're going to ask us to come in with them. There's a lot in it for us. Today they ask us to get rid of Joe. Tomorrow they ask me to get rid of you. Is that okay with you? Because it's not okay with me. But the way I outlined the story does a great disservice to the manner in which Leone told it. You see, he chose to tell it not so much in flashback as much as a crisscross pattern, passing over, under and through five decades. So it is a wildly ambitious piece, epic in both its time frame and themes. Friendship, loyalty, masculinity, violence, politics, corruption. But for me, and more than any of those things, Once Upon a Time in America is about gangster pictures. Just like he did with his epic Western, Once Upon a Time in the West, Leone set out to make the gangster picture to end all gangster pictures. In so doing, he not only referenced the great ones that had gone before, but he somehow succeeded in creating such an enormous picture, it has cast a very long shadow across many gangster pictures that have been made since. You see, it's not just a story about organized crime. It's also about the way stories of gangsters are told and the ensuing mythologies that grow up around them. Let's go, Noodles. Better your invention somewhere else, huh? Hey, wait a minute. What invention? You should be stopped by the river, right? See, si, sometimes. And when you get caught by the Coast Guard, you gotta throw all the cases overboard. You lose a whole shipment, Capuan. So? The 10% will save it all for you. What do you got, a submarine? We got salt. Think of all the references the film makes to other gangster pictures. By choosing to spend so much time on the boys growing up together, immediately puts us in mind of such films as Dead End that focused on a group of teenagers trying to survive in the tenements of 1930s New York. Some of those same actors turn up again in the great Michael Curtiz film from 1938, Angels with Dirty Faces. That picture starred Jimmy Cagney as Rocky Sullivan and Pat O'Brien as Jerry Connolly. Gosh, 15 years. It doesn't seem possible I haven't seen in that length of time. I've seen you. You have? Where? I was in a stand the day you made that 90-yard run against NYU. Why'd you get back and see me? I couldn't. Some people waiting for me. <laughs> oh. And I got a kick coming, though. You have? Sure. Why aren't you written to me? Oh, you know how it is, Jerry. You, yeah, I figured I'd change my address and number so often why you had no way of answering me. And then you know what happens to letters written in stir. Everybody in the PK down reads them. And when I was inside, nothing happened anyway. When I was out, well, it was all there to read on the front page. Yes, I, I read all the papers. You see, Rocky and Jerry were born in the same neighborhood and grew up together, only for Rocky to fall into the life of crime and Jerry to go off and become a priest. The decay of their friendship is one of the great templates of the gangster genre, as it turns up again and again in such films as On the Waterfront, Mean Streets, and The Godfather Trilogy. Mike, you don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that! Freo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. An early picture crucial to the development of the gangster genre is Little Caesar, starring Edward G. Robinson. That begins with the biblical verse, for they that take the sword shall perish by the sword. Once Upon a Time in America has a variation on that in the inscription above the tomb that reads, your men will fall by the sword. A soldier little buzzard like you will never put any cuffs on me. You should have come out when I told you to, Rico. Huh. 
Mother of mercy. Is this the end of Rico? In addition to that, you see how one character, Noodles, is swamped with a nostalgia for the good old days. And that neatly echoes the regrets of Roy Earl, played by Humphrey Bogart in the 1941 picture High Sierra. And while Noodles yearns for the lost friendship, his old friend Max becomes a paranoid megalomaniac, just like Jimmy Cagney's Cody Jarrett did in White Heat. But really, given the origins of the book, as well as the mysteries of Herschel Goldberg's life, could the film really have been about anything other than storytelling? I mean, it's right there in the title, Once Upon a Time. Sounds like a fairy tale, and undoubtedly, despite the film's horrendous violence, there lingers an air of loss about the whole thing. It comes not only from Ennio Morricone's music, but also Leone's decision to include the boys' childhoods. In that way, we focus on the decaying matter of their friendships. That Leone structured his film not in a straightforward chronological way, but instead chose to weave a non-linear, asymmetrical pattern, augments the moments where the friendships are created and corroded. But there is so much more corrosion than creation that when the credits finally roll, what you're left with is a tremendous sense of emptiness, of sadness, of wasted time and ruined friendships, a lamentation that things could have been so much better if only they had not been, well, gangsters. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Look at your heart. I'm praying to you. You don't understand. I could have had class. Made it world! He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. Mother of mercy. Is this the end of Rico? I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. I do what I do best. Takes course. You do what you do best. Try to stop guys like me. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs>